Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the soundtrack to a life. introduction to a podcast than that at some point he said more than a year in so it's probably not likely to happen with me again is sarah sarah what you been up to since we saw you last mostly trying to argue with people on the internet less so instead of doing it on facebook i'm doing it on twitter because it gives me fewer words that checks out that really dials it back i'm yeah. doing the same thing not least because my mom's on facebook <laughs> okay. i can convince my mom of almost anything so it's fine but uh, it's just everybody else on Facebook is actually a horrible fucking person. That's frequently the case. Yeah. Facebook is a bad website. Also, I have friends who don't live in this town that I need to, to keep track of. Right? Like, I would like to be engaged with other people's lives, but, like, why is everybody's life their political beliefs? And why is everybody's political beliefs garbage? Well, <laughs> the election is... Tuesday, we're recording this in advance of the Alberta provincial election. Y'all listening to it, you'll know how it ends. We don't. Yeah. Maybe people will shut up about politics after that. They won't shut up about politics after that. Nah, there's definitely a federal election in like six months. Oh, that will be draining. Yes. And Sarah and I are here today talking about... <laughs> <laughs> Sarah and I are here today talking about The Clash's debut album, self-titled. The Clash. I think it's perfect that we started out talking about politics because I asked you to give me a political album. And I think I did. Yes. The Clash's debut. At some point I was introduced to The Clash. I mean, I must have been. I'm familiar with The Clash, after all. And it's unsurprising. I spent most of my teen years attending all-ages punk shows down in Kensington and volunteered at CJSW through high school. It's only natural that I'd come into contact with The Clash at one point or another. But when I think back, the specific moment when I was introduced to the band eludes me. Possibly because, if I'm being honest, I can't imagine the world without The Clash in it. Their debut came out a year before I was born, and the world in which I grew up was, musically speaking, the product of its influence. They were more than the Pistols, more than the Jam, the band that put a stake through the heart of 70s excess and kick-started the punk revolution. They're the band that allowed the bands I grew up loving to exist. The band that set down the template that punk bands to this day still use. Clash fans call them the only band that matters, and they aren't far off. The Clash are badass, is what I'm saying. We'll be talking about The Clash three times total on this show. I already have the records picked out. But this is The Clash in their purest form. Angry young men making angry young music. Unselfconscious. Beautiful in its simplicity. Defining the music world before my music world had the chance to define them. Other Clash records are powerful, but in 1977, this one must have been a revelation. Even today, it sounds shockingly powerful and immediate when I listen to it. And for a record I've heard hundreds of times over the course of my life, that's a hell of a feat to manage. The Clash's debut wasn't my first punk record. It's not the most technically proficient punk record, and it's not even The Clash's most popular record. But it's probably the most punk record that I listen to regularly. Because this was the one where they just didn't give a fuck where they were working with no template, no sonic ground rules, 
where they created a genre as they went, neither realizing nor seeming to care that, more than forty years later, the tropes and idioms they were setting down would still be in use, as generation after generation of disaffected kids picked up the tools provided here and ran with them. They're the fucking clash, and the world after this record was different than it was before. Not many bands can say that. So, Sarah, you've never heard The Clash's self-titled debut, and now you have. Tell me, what do you think? Okay, so to have say, said that I've never heard of it is probably unfair. I probably have heard it. I've just never known that I was listening to it, because this album sounds exactly what punk music sounds like to me. I can't tell you if I've ever heard these songs before, because it sounds exactly like punk music. This album is 13 years older than I am, so it is exactly what punk music sounds like. I'm not being a bitch about it, it just is exactly what punk music sounds like, and it, in its most generic form to me, because it's so much older than I am. That checks out. Yeah. And a lot of bands just picked this up and ran. Yeah, absolutely. Like, a ton of bands are just doing the clash. Absolutely. I'm actually not cool enough to like punk music. Um, I've tried really hard to be cool enough to like punk music, but I'm not. So when I was younger and I was trying super hard, and we're going to revisit that try hard attitude a little later, I would go to punk shows and it all just sounded like this. It all, it sounds like generic punk to me. Fair enough. Yeah. Although I do wish when, or I'm sad that I missed when angry white dudes were angry at things that made sense. Yeah. Yeah. That was useful. Yeah, that was cool. I think. I assume. <laughs> I will admit, growing up going to um, socialist-funded all-ages punk shows down in Kensington, like three blocks from here, Yeah. growing up was probably more formative to my politics today. So, like, I went to high school in Airdrie, um, and, like, Airdrie is literally just suburb. It's, like, pure suburb with, like, a sprinklings of uh, trailer parks, but mostly suburb. So there was no punk shows that... I could attend that were all ages that were accessible to me. And I think that may have impacted how much of the punk scene I got into because it was just like 19-year-old me trying to find things in another awful small town. Honestly, like, Green Day was my punk music. And they, like, even had a song about how I was never going to get cool enough <laughs> to be into <laughs> punk music. I mean, I think Green Day was that band for a lot of people. yeah. They were an entry-level punk act that hit the enormous audience that could then explore further. Or just go, no, I have one band now. <laughs> I don't need a second band that sounds like this. No, see, like, I hit, I hit Green Day and I was like, cool. Um, well, I don't need to go any further than that. But, like, The Clash in general is uh, used in many, many movies that I did watch growing up. Uh, so I always heard The Clash. Yeah, that happens. When a band hits a certain point, it becomes almost ambient to the culture, where you'll know half the songs not by any choice of your own. <laughs> right. And I have to admit, I had worried slightly when I um, suggested this, based on our conversation about Kate Bush, that you specifically said, growing up listening to the artists that were inspired by this and then built on it, the original thing didn't strike me as hard. Yeah. And then I did the exact same thing. Yeah. But for punk bands, rather than hyper-literate female singer-songwriters. <laughs> I think the issue that we're having here is, uh, like, an age gap that doesn't usually come up 
in the things that we talk about like uh we love our garbage tv shows and no matter what age you are those are current but with music you went through your like music finding phase at a very different time than i did that's true there was a lot different going on during that period although less the clash when i came to the what's the best time to discover music like 16 17 yeah i think so also when you get your first car definitely both albums i've pointed in your direction were first car albums are they are they good driving music uh nope (laughs) (laughs) what on earth i'm gonna need clarification there in that case driving is a great way to listen to music and like just really get into it good driving music is stuff that is specifically fun to drive to like um classic rock is specifically fun to drive to daft punk is specifically fun to drive to see if i were in a car driving at night while daft punk plays in the background i would fear that i was the protagonist of a shitty 90s (laughs) cyberpunk movie fear or really enjoy i mean that's true too i'm so tall and white i do really well in that exactly late 90s cyberpunk ethos uh and like i'm conventionally pretty and have super big boobs so i'm obviously in that movie as well no doubt yeah no doubt like i only have maybe five whole minutes of speaking time yeah but, but i'm in would, that movie you'd kickbox somebody in the third act absolutely absolutely <laughs> <laughs> but grow up and blow away i listened to very extensively and uh thoroughly while i was driving as well as um as him and that one is because i was mad about kate bush i was very upset that you... anyways we'll talk about that later yes we will yes we will <laughs> Yeah, this was kind of one of the ones that I... I also actually started listening to punk through Green Day, I think. Really? Okay. Yeah, but it was as Green Day came out. Okay, yeah. So you moved Green Day forward, whereas I moved Green Day back because the Green Day record was the most current one. So I jumped off from there and started exploring some of the 80s SoCal. Yeah, see, like, um, American Idiot came out when I was, I think, like... 12 or 13 i don't know so So like my next logical step was fucking good charlotte that's a different step yeah yeah dookie came out when i was 13 or 14 right yeah and then the next uh logical step would be the clash or stiff little fingers or yeah that's uh green green day went through a lot of growth green day went through a lot of growth some of it good okay (laughs) (laughs) like man it's it's like a taste thing right so like that's a fact. I, yeah. This is following up an episode on Follow Boy. Oh, sweet. That I've recorded with Liv. You know, <laughs> we comment during it how relentlessly, immaculately produced yeah. Follow Boy music is. But they, uh, like, are consistently contemporary. Yeah. And, like, always a blast for whatever time they ca- that, that album came out. Man, Follow Boy's great. Totally underappreciated. Follow Boy, I don't. I think they're pretty aptly appreciated. Uh, nah. I they're don't. selling out stadiums. They have giant hit records. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I don't think enough people give them credit and talk about them. They're great. <laughs> I think it's just you. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually. Do you know what? I'm gonna go out and say, this is a year old thing. I'm old. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's fair. I work at a college, so that is like. That is pointed out to me on a regular basis. I'm talking about Follow Boy uh, with my friend's kid. <laughs> and Follow Boy was her first punk band. Wow. Follow Boy's her punk band? Follow Boy's her first punk band. Okay. After that, she moved on. 
Yeah, okay, that's fair. I wouldn't. I believe she's I in wouldn't. the midst of a huge Riot Girl kick. Ah, oh, yes! I went through my Riot Girl kick way too late. Ah, I'm so angry about when Riot Girl was pointed out to me. I was already in university. I think I was like 24 when some... Yeah, yeah, it was the, t- it was the year I shaved my dreads that somebody was like, here's Bikini Kill. And I was like, the fuck is this? And where has it been my whole life? Yeah, all those bands were dope. Yeah. Also, soundtrack to a life. No matter what record we're discussing, we will always wrap it back around to Riot Girl. That is our promise to you, dear listener. <laughs> um, everything should be brought back to Riot Girl. Riot Girl's the greatest. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, see, that's, like, you're not one of those, like, feminists who's like, I'm going to tell you how feminist I am. You're just like, I'm going to always bring up Riot Girl. Every yeah. goddamn time. That's feminism to me. Riot Girl are dope as fuck. I've already, I've literally told this story two weeks ago, but I'm going to do it again because this is wildly self-indulgent. There's a parallel universe. In which Riot Girl caught on instead of grunge. And I don't hate that universe. I don't know that it's better, but I don't know that it's worse. No, it's better. Fuck you. <laughs> grunge had some bands. Grunge had some bands. Riot Girl. Actually, I've like uh, been amazed by all of the like women who like are into music and feminists. And then I'm like, Bikini Kill. And they're like, what? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Well, you have to like feminism and punk rock. No, you don't. Yeah, you have to like both of those things. No, you don't. I think... I don't. That you do. <laughs> I managed to not. You do. You just would rather listen to Sleater Kinney than The Clash. Yeah. Which, like, That's not fair. the wrong choice necessarily. <laughs> That's fair. Just Sleater Kinney hadn't released a lot of material during the age when I got into punk rock. Mm. The Clash had their whole catalog, and I could follow them along through their growth and their weird reggae period. And this is a Man, lot. everybody had a weird re- reggae period. Yeah. So many white people had a weird reggae period. I, no I, doubt. Uh, Sting still seems to be in a weird reggae period. Like, why? I don't know. In terms of punk band incorporating reggae influences, I think it's these guys' fault. Because their sound engineer on their first tour was a reggae DJ. And their first tour happened before anybody had put out a punk record, so you couldn't spin punk records while people were coming in. And he was like a recent immigrant from Jamaica okay. to the UK. So he said, what should I spin? The Clash went, spin whatever you want. And then everybody walking in, discovering punk for the first time, had also listened to like 90 minutes of reggae while they were <laughs> milling around. And the DNA from those two things kind of got That's mixed. That's so weird. Yeah. And then it was exacerbated because, you know, like every subculture in 2019 and apparently in the late 70s as well there were some nazis oh yeah and a good way to state to the world i am anti-racist would be to listen to music of other cultures in a loud way i mean that's one way of looking at that do we want to talk about cultural appropriation because that gets like really muddy really fast oh heavens yes right like Where's the line between, like, being the Clash and, like, incorporating reggae because your DJ kept playing reggae before your shows? And then, like, being, like, I'm anti-racist. And then, like, where the fuck was I going with this? Um, Paris Hilton's reggae single. (laughs) A real thing that exists (laughs) and that I cannot stop talking about in my life. Sorry, I meant Elvis. I was going to bring up Elvis. Oh, Elvis Um, is bad, too. Yeah, like, Elvis seems like that was racism. I mean, I don't think Elvis was. I think Elvis's popularity was. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, you were going to move on. No, this is interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, where is the line? Like, then do you justify to people? Like, hey, this isn't cultural appropriation. It is because we were working with this reggae DJ that we started to play reggae music and we wanted to show people how not racist we were by playing a lot of racist, uh, like... Yeah, and then a lot of the bands that formed after that just went, I don't know, this is just what it sounded like when I heard it. For sure. But, like, yeah, where is the culture? And then would there be second wave ska were it not for that? I mean, definitely not. Which, like, depending on your attitude toward ska revivals. I mean, you can always pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. You can never stop picking it up. <laughs> One day it will be up. And only then will we be done having ska revivals. I worked at Dickens long enough that ska is never going to be dead, as far as I'm aware, because uh, class action will always play. That checks out. And it comes back. Like, I have a ton of time for the UK ones from about this period, but less so for the California ones. I could not tell you the difference. Oh, it's no doubt versus, like, madness of the specials. The specials got back together. I was so mad. Tickets were, like, 400 bucks. No fucking clue what that means. No? No. 70s ska band. They were quite good. Probably not important. Um, any music that's older than me came to me through my dad. And, like, my dad's a basic bitch, you know? Listen to a lot of Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd were good. Pink Floyd, yep. Still holds up. Love that shit. Pink Floyd were good when you put on a Pink Floyd record, probably while high. I grew up listening to Pink Floyd, and we would, like, clean the house to Pink Floyd, like, very loudly. And then one time, I actually did drugs, and then listened to Pink Floyd, and I was like, holy fuck, this is totally worth the hype. Now you get it. Yeah. It's exceptional music sober, too, though. It's good. They're yeah. good at making music. It's weird to think that they were radio music for, like, a lengthy stretch of time. I mean... I listen to Q, so it's still radio music. Yeah, but like regular radio music. It was popular contemporary radio music. Yeah. In the same way that like a... Like Nickelback is. Yeah. Yeah. I find that weird. <laughs> the songs are too long. You want to listen to them with good headphones rather than doing something else. No, definitely doing something else. I always do other things while I'm listening to anything. If I'm listening to a podcast or if I'm listening to music, like I'm always doing something else. Either like working out, walking somewhere, cleaning my house, whatever. That checks out. Which is funny because this probably exists in direct opposition to that. Like the record that we're nominally actually discussing. Because after lengthy 14-minute radio songs, multi-million dollar production things, and you will never make music because you don't have access to these things... Probably four dudes with guitars recording an entire record in three weekends with the recording and mixing done by the end of the th third weekend for about $8,000 total. I mean, $8,000 in the 70s is a chunk of change. That's true. That's like a degree. That's true. But it's no, we are going to bring in a symphony orchestra and then mix it down no. so that it sounds like a drone money. How much was the clash on the radio in the 70s? Um, fair chunk. Okay. A few of the songs of this were decently big. Train in Vain off of London Calling. A lot of the songs from London Calling, actually. Yeah, London Calling seems um, pretty big. Such that Dickens named a night after it. And should like I stare, should I, I go, know. and then rock the Casbah, obviously. We're all over the place. Like, this was punchy young music that came out at a time where music had gotten very, not old, but... Long-winded? A little. Yeah. And Clash songs are pretty short, eh? They're like two and a half minutes, yeah. mostly. That's uh, sort of what SoundCloud rappers are doing now, is like really short and brief songs, because you get paid per song, 
or like per listen. And so like if you've got a song that you can like put on repeat and listen, it basically makes it a customizable length too, really. Nice. I kind of buy into the idea that SoundCloud rappers are punk rock now. Yeah, I mean, they are. Like, have you seen them? Have you looked at them? Yeah, and they've also got that DIY thing. Like, we're going to smash it together and put it out on our own. Absolutely. With but no also, support, they you know. tattoo their faces. You have to tattoo your face. Uh, you, I think you're required You don't. To. <laughs> <laughs> you or I <laughs> no. should probably not tattoo our face. I will never tattoo my face. But SoundCloud rappers tattooing their face is a big move. And, like, this isn't even, like, tattooing your eyebrows on tattooing your face. This is, like prison tattoo in your face yeah but yeah no this was on the radio this uh this record wound up hitting number 12 in the uk it wound up going gold in the uk and the us a bunch of the songs were on the radio a lot of the sales i think came long after the fact like they feel like the kind of band that sells modestly well when it first comes out but the people keep going back and rebuying because like their brother put nail polish all over the CD kind of thing, or? No, just because uh, you weren't alive in 1977. Oh. So, like, I'm at, oh, right. I'm at an all-ages gig, and then somebody goes, do you know what you really have to listen to? Because you grew up in a time when you absolutely had to buy an album in order to listen to music. That's correct. Yeah. Whereas now, you can... I didn't really grow up that way. That's so weird. You kind of, you're not that young. I'm pretty young, like I... You grew up iTunes era. Yeah, iTunes era, but like, just before iTunes, there was LimeWire. Oh, yeah. You know? So like, there was always a free way to do it. Delivering you free music and Um... straight up murdering your computer. (laughs) Yeah. Every song's by Bob Marley. So it was risky as all hell, but you got your music for free. (laughs) And uh, you only had to get one song at a time. So I got people sending me like MP3s through MSN in my like more formative music listening years. That's how like the first like metric song that was ever sent to me was Combat Baby on an MP3 over MSN. It took four hours to get to me. Oh my God. (laughs) CDs aren't even that expensive. (laughs) No, they weren't. But there was only one place to get CDs in Airtree and it wasn't conveniently close. That checks out. That checks out. (laughs) And then, like, the selection was weak as shit. That I remember as well. Yeah. The HMV downtown would import me weird shit that there's no good reason for them to actually stock. Yeah, that's fair. And then I would wait for four weeks, and then it would arrive. I don't have a credit card, so I still try to get another dimension to do that with comic books for me. And fuck, it's not worth it. I might as well just ask somebody with a credit card to buy me the comic book and I will pay them. It is way more convenient than going to another dimension and dealing with the people who work at another dimension. And then waiting for it to show up. I attempted to buy, I was going to be like a really good civic-minded person. And then before we think I'm fluffing myself up too badly, at the faintest sign of resistance, (laughs) I crumbled like it was nothing. But I was like, I'm going to go, I need to read the Mr. Miracle 12-issue run that everyone on my comics Twitter is talking about. And I'm going to buy it from a local brick-and-mortar store to support stores and the community. Right. So I went down to Phoenix Comics, and they were sold out. And then I went to Another Dimension, and they were sold out. And they were like, if you wait a week, we might get more. I was like, no. I went to two places. I mean... I did two things. But also, like, if you wait a week, we might get more. That's not What great. the fuck do you want me to do with that information? I can go on Amazon and know exactly when it's coming to my door and pay less 
Or I can maybe come back in a week and you might have it. Like, what the fuck, man? I mean, it's less evil, but could you make it easier for me to be less evil, please? Yeah, right? That was my exact thinking when I wanted to read a fairly obscure comic called Genius by Mark Bernardin. It's about this hilarious... Not hilarious at all. Um, it's about this uh, black lady who uh, takes on the LAPD. Hmm. Yeah. Seems like a story for sure. Oh, it's amazing. Nice. I went in, I got them to order it in for me. Uh, they told me, they would call me when it came in. I like went in to check two more times. Like, hey, do you have my comic? And they're like, did we call you? And I was like, then no. And they're like, then we don't have it. I was like, okay. Uh, we're, going so, to the, we're going to the evil multi-billion dollar international corporation now. <laughs> well, no. So I didn't even, not then. All right. So I didn't come back for a couple months because they never called me. And then after a couple months, I was like, hey, like, did my comic ever come in? And they were like, oh, yeah, uh, you never came in for it. So we sold it. And they're like, do you want us to order it for you again? And I was like, ah, yes, finally. Sure. Yes. Fine. And so then they ordered it for me again. And then I waited another two weeks after they told me that they sold my comic. I was so mad. Anyways. No, at that point, you just order it online. You yeah. can tell that I've really incorporated the anti-corporate ethos of The Clash into my day-to-day -day life. I By don't... how easily, how truly, truly easily. I, I really don't want to support Amazon, but like, uh, why? They really make it. Amazon and Facebook, man. They're the two most evil companies. <laughs> But they make it so easy, and I'm so addicted. They are difficult. That's. It's... I mean, they wouldn't be able to, to be... ruin Western civilization if they weren't providing such a convenient service. Such a convenient service. And, like, they just, they bring me my comics at such a good rate and speed. Yeah. The um, Clash after this wind up becoming, like, a really interesting, musically diverse band uh, with a lot of room in which to experiment. Which See, isn't here. This album is like the most generic sounding. Yeah, this is where they build from. This is yeah. where they start. After that, um, like everything else sounds distinct, but this sounds like ambient punk music. Yeah. They yeah, they go on to incorporate like, rockabilly elements and reggae elements. They try to rap on a few songs, oh, which is a choice. Uh, when what year does that happen? It's a fascinating thing to witness. Oh, nineteen eighty? Oh, okay. So like they got in on the ground floor. Yeah. They were living in New York at the time. And probably hanging out with the actual people. But that doesn't make him good at it. But, like, honestly, I don't like old school hip-hop. Like, maybe... Well, okay, I don't like what I would call old school hip-hop. Because it's not that fast or exciting at the beginning. 80s hip-hop is weird. No, because they, the, uh, they have to play the samples and the beats live. Oh. Like, they're playing it off records and cutting them together. Oh, that would be complicated. Yeah. So you can't get the same kind of velocity that somebody sitting in a studio putting beats together can. That checks out. Yeah. And you can't, like, speed the track up that you're rapping over or slow it down. Why not? Well, I mean, you can, but only to the point that a turntable lets you. Yeah, but turntables let you do that, don't they? They uh, let you alternate between three speeds. Oh, okay. So you can speed it up a lot or a hell of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not even a slowdown option? Uh, well, it depends. On an LP, you're playing it at the slowest option. Okay. On a single, you're playing it at the fastest option. Oh, okay. So if you're playing it off of a single, then you can speed it up. Uh, slow it down, sorry. Or an LP, you can speed it up, but only those two things. Oh, okay. My mom only has, like, one size of record, and so, like, I never have to do anything except move the needle on very, very gently, and then put my hands up and show that I'm not scratching the record. That's correct. <laughs> I do the I do the same thing 
with my own vinyl, I will occasionally buy an EP, which is played at the medium speed by accident. And then I will listen to it so slow <laughs> <laughs> for about 30 or 40 seconds and go, that's not right. And we are starting over. <laughs> Imagine. That's so cool. I didn't know that different size. Al- it's the size, right? Yeah. yeah. That you're referring yeah. to with the EP, LP, all that nonsense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The LP is like 10 or 12 songs. The single is exactly what you think it is. And the EP is like five or six. Do you remember, there was at one point where you could buy a single song CD. Like, um, I never did this because I was always infuriated that like that was going to take up a lot of space in my, in my CD stacker thingamajig, right? For one fucking song. But like usually one song would come out before the rest of the album. And if you were a diehard, you could spend like $5 on one song. Oh, heavens yes. I got singles imported from the UK regularly we are different people from two or three bands because there'd be like the one song that was on the radio but there would be two other songs that didn't make it onto the album but it was on the radio no it wasn't on the radio it's just in with the cd like here's the one song that's going to be on the radio and two other songs from the recording that did not make it onto the album so you're getting something out of this that's cool so for bands that had especially good b-sides right i'll go well i'm an obsessive about this band so I am going to be shipping CD singles. Did you, like, subscribe to that CD service, like, in the mail? No. No, my mom definitely did. Yeah, that was already, that one was already dying. Okay. By the time I got there. That's amazing that there was a subscription service that was already dying at that point, because, like, now subscription services are fucking everything, right? Like, subscription boxes. Yep. Here is something that you will be tired of in a year. <laughs> Which, like, but I've you subscribed have to, cance- to those. But you have to cancel far in advance. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Yeah. You've got three more boxes coming. Great, great. I will open them and re-gift most of it. <laughs> no, it's just gifting it. You yeah. paid for it. No, that's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah, you didn't get it as a gift. It's not re-gifting it. You bought it. Yep. So, lyrical content? Very, yeah, nope. Uh, it just seems like... I didn't, it honestly sounds, the quality is hard to listen to, so I didn't get, like, nothing landed. Oh, because of the raw production? Yeah. Or because of Joe Strummer's singing voice? Yes. All of the above. Yeah, I find his singing voice really compelling. Okay. But when somebody tells me that it's not, (laughs) I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. I find Joe Strummer very much in that same camp as, like, Bob Dylan or Tom Waits or yeah. Leonard Cohen, where it's not a good voice, but it is a voice that if you're a specific kind of person in a specific kind of mood. It's distinct. And that's what like the best voices in rock are. Yeah. But, and like punk rock, I guess, uh, in this case, but like, it's mostly shouty music. It's a lot of shouting. I imagine it would have sounded great played live. Yeah, Totally. And, um, you have to understand that, like, I listen to these albums and stuff while I'm working, or, like, it's always, music is a passive thing for me. So it was very, uh, it would be much better if I could jump around and knock into people. That checks out. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, everybody, everybody who saw these guys on their first tour went out and formed a band. Because that's the kind of energy that you get from this. Like, okay. You, you come into it and your favorite band is Elton John. And you leave and go, well, I could form a band. Well, if you're... We're we're all forming bands now. If your favorite artist is Elton John, you're like, well, I'm never going to be that good. 
Yeah. Uh, so you don't. But You're not going to be able to produce something like Boston. You don't have access to that studio equipment. Yeah, I could definitely probably put together The Clash. It would turn into Riot Girl very quickly. Absolutely. They're also a politicized punk movement. They're from a different decade. But that's what would happen if and I tried to And the politics shifts focus somewhat. It's just like a little bit more gynocentric, that's all. That's fact. Yeah. It's still about like fucking the man. Yeah. That's why I said shift focus somewhat. That's fair. Rather than focuses on something completely different. Yeah. It's... Like, I think that everything that the Clash believes, Riot Girl bands also believe, and vice versa, is just what they've chosen to center. So, do you think that the Clash are, like, good dudes who would be like, no, man, let the ladies march with you? I want to say yes, from what I know of them politically. Like... Because, like, Bikini Girl would be like, men to the back, women to the front. Like, we're going to let women march tonight. Yeah. I also think that in the late 70s, that question would never come up for them to answer. Fair. I think that if someone asked, that they would. What about, like, in the 80s, though? Like, they were going hard in the 80s. They were going hard by about, like, 82. They ended. Oh. They didn't end after Combat Rock, but they How arguably should have. did they have um, in, like, a very short period, then? So uh, you're saying, like, they peaked for, like, five years? Yeah. This came out in 77. They put out the follow-up, Give Them Enough Rope, in 78. London Calling came out in 79. Wow. And that was a double album. That's fast. Sandinista came out in 1980, and that I was a triple album. I guess their songs are two and a half minutes. Yeah. So and then pump them out. Combat Rock came out in 82. And then part of them released a record called Cut the Crap in 86 that please don't listen to. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nonsense. Like, it's half a band trying to reclaim itself and not succeeding. Like Queen after Freddie Mercury died? Pretty much. Okay. Uh, and then Joe Strummer... Continued to make music through his life. He did that Johnny Cash trick where he put out three astonishing records with like a world music collective, Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros, before passing away in 2002 of a heart attack in the middle of just like a really productive creative period to remind his fans that they are poorer for his absence. Like, I mean, I'm sure that wasn't his... Might as well go out on top. Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't his intent, but like... The Clash breakup, there's basically radio silence for 15 years. <laughs> he puts out three records that I like every bit as much as I like Clash records. And then passes away. Going on top. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. That's about going on a creative high. He uh, spent his last... Or any other kind of high. Yeah. yeah. He spent his last years worrying that his band, made up of much younger musicians, like he was in his late 40s, early 50s by this point, were wasting the most commercial years of their life touring with him. And friends had to point out to him that he was a walking legend that anyone would kill to play with. That yeah, they were probably fine. I don't know that he had put that together in his mind, which I also like. You would like that. I do. I yeah. do. They're one of those bands that was apparently more influential than they were commercially successful while they were a going concern. And he never put together that he has a big spot in popular music as it's formed in order to rest on laurels because he didn't know he had any. Maybe he was just like one of those people who just kept trying to be better because he never thought he was good enough, you know? Yeah. And I think he did. I mean, you know, hits and misses. Flash put on a record in 86 that did not work. Half of them. Sandinista, some would argue, could have been a double album rather than a triple. But that really depends on your attitude towards sprawling messes of a record where half the songs are crazy choices that you don't completely understand. I mean, even the Beatles did that. The Beatles mostly did that. <laughs> <laughs> Soundtrack to a life.
bagging on the Beatles and talking about Riot Girl. I mean, they're both very important to music. And I also enjoy that The Clash went from three-chord punk songs to be played in front of a mosh pit to triple albums with reggae songs where the singer tries to rap in three years. Like, that is an accelerated timetable. That is so fast. <laughs> that is really fast. Like, I get that in the 70s you would put out a record a year. Really? Yeah, give or take. Oh my god. Like, I know Bowie like, did for most of it. I know that Elton John did for, like, his productive period. When did these people have time to have sex? Oh my god. Constantly like, during. Clearly... During. Fair. During and while touring. Okay, yeah, I guess. They had 70s rock star quality cocaine. They had so much... Okay, cocaine. Yep. I forget (laughs) about cocaine. And they forgot that cocaine is bad for you. Forgot. And they would have sex after shows or while recording or turning their studio into a giant nightmare once they got famous enough to do that. Or they'd put out records in 77, 78, 79, 80, and 82 and then be completely burned out for 15 years. That pace is arguably why... Joe Strummer had to take so much time off. Could you imagine if Lady Gaga was putting out an album a year? I could or Im- Beyonce? I could imagine that out. Rihanna did. Yeah, but Rihanna was actually terrible, so... Was she? Have we turned on Rihanna? I never liked Rihanna. Even, um, the even only time Sia was writing for her? Oh, uh, I actually, at one point, when Sia came out, I was like, when did Rihanna get good? And then I realized that Sia was actually a different person. Um, Whose day job had been writing songs for Rihanna. <laughs> Yeah, and, but, like, Sia's music is, like, about her daddy issues, which is so much more relatable to me than Rihanna because her songs are often about, like, cheating on her boyfriend. The only time I really care about Rihanna is when she's making makeup and when uh, she is not being with Chris Brown. Not being with Chris Brown is super important Yeah, so for every artist. Absolutely. Also, like, every artist that keeps working with Chris Brown. I don't care about your fucking edgelord ideas. Stop doing it, or I'll stop listening to your fucking music. I can't argue with that. I'm allowed to surround your show, right? Yeah, absolutely. Great. That was the angriest that I ever was, was when the Chris Brown thing came up. Ah, shit. Do I own any Chris Brown music by accident? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Because everyone in pop and club music guests on everybody else's record. Right? And just... Go through my iTunes library. I do. Spotify will let you cancel people. That's pretty great. Yeah, so you can really quickly go in and be like, no fucking R. Kelly, no CeeLo Green, no Chris Brown, no misogyny. It's not that good. I can't get rid of misogyny. But I can get rid of... Specific uh, misogynists. Specific men who have been very much caught red-handed abusing women. So many sex criminals. Who has the time? Do we have time to talk about how disingenuous I think it is to pull Michael Jackson's music today? Yeah. Okay, great. So... Is it because he dead and will not get that money? Exactly! So why are you taking the money away from his kids? First of all, we've all known since the 90s, we did not need an expose about the fact that he had little boys over at his house doing very, very, very questionable stuff. That shit is not goddamn news, no matter what HBO says. So to pull that music now, also not pull R. Kelly's music, just Michael Jackson's music, really, man? And the people who are making money off of Michael Jackson's music are his kids. Didn't he dangle one of his kids out of, like, a balcony one time? Yeah. He definitely abused them, too. So you're going to take money away? They grew up Michael Jackson crazy. Yeah. They should get Michael Jackson money. 
You're going to take the money away from kids that he probably definitely abused? Like, Plus come on. He literally will not benefit from this yeah. in any way. And, like, why do we care now? Now. We didn't care for, like, nearly Don't put Michael years. Jackson on at a party that one of the kids that slept over at his house might be at. Oh, yeah, definitely not. I was like, I don't know where you're going with this. That's the only time you put Michael Jackson <laughs> I get, on. No, like, I get how, I get how uh, for people with a certain life experience, yeah, that could be traumatic. I mean, honestly, I have that life experience, and, like, man, put Michael Jackson on. Like, like, he's dead. So dope. Yeah, like, he's dead. Like, he's not benefiting. I'm going to listen to his music. So, by that logic, upon R. Kelly's death, I can listen to Remix Ignition? Yeah. I have to kill R. Kelly. Yeah, do it. Not an admission of guilt <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but do it. I think if you're supporting an abuser, like, while they're, like, potentially still abusing people, because, like... R. Kelly's still producing music with girls, you know? Yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. He um, is out there R. Kellying it up. Yeah, and he tried to get his brother to take the fall for being in a video that he filmed himself having sex with a 14-year-old where they both bring up how 14 years old she is, like, way too many times. And he tried to get his brother to admit that he was in that video and go to jail for it. Yep. People are gross. That's so fucked And then you up, have to man. reconcile yourself with that. That is why but once the number dead. of Ryan Adams records <laughs> that will eventually be covered on this show dropped from three to zero. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Alt-country troubadour. Oh. And it turns out, low-key sex crim, which I hate. Yeah. He was going to put out three records this year and I was going to catch him live. But he's a sex crim, so none of that's happening I think the biggest struggle for sex criminals that I've had giving up was definitely CeeLo Green. Oh. Yeah, I love CeeLo Green. But I make exceptions for karaoke because he doesn't make money if I sing it. That checks out. Yeah. This is why we need to get someone to cover songs by sex crims. <laughs> Can we just call the album Songs by Sex Crims? Songs by Sex Crims, the new album by Sleater Kinney, where they play Riot Girl versions of songs. By dudes that you cannot listen to anymore, but in a Sleater Kinney style. <laughs> Sleater Kinney, Kinney, if you're listening, make this happen for me. And if you're not listening, why aren't you listening? I talk about you constantly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I still want it to be punk. Oh, good. I want Sleater Kinney doing their own unique take on Ignition Remix and Smooth Criminal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to hear Crazy. I think it'd be great. Yeah. I think it'd be great. Mm -hmm. And by great, I mean absolutely a train wreck. <laughs> this <laughs> has been The Clash, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to comment that we barely touched on the album, and that's fair. <laughs> but we're 30-something episodes in, and I think you know I'm tangential as fuck. <laughs> Clearly, you're getting something out of this if you continue listening. Please continue listening. <laughs> Do you get a lot of... I didn't mean to abuse you. <laughs> Do you get a lot of comments? Occasional ones. That's good. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to ask you three questions. I suspect I already know the answers. You usually do. You going to listen to the debut album of The Clash again? Probably not. You going to explore other Clash records? In so far as I will be able to recognize exactly when I'm... I kind of want to look up someone's reggae stuff. I'm a little interested. Listen to Sandinista. It's so long. I kind... Is that... Does he rap in that one? Because I would like to... Yeah. Um, if I can kill as many birds as one stone. It has it all. Okay. Rapping by a white dude in 1980. Yes. Reggae, children singing, 
every like seventh song is like a punk pop classic that deserves to live forever and then and then that becomes jarring too (laughs) (laughs) you get to a point where when one of the good songs comes on go wait why (laughs) why didn't they just keep it to a tight 45 they could have but i love it i love it i love the ambition and i love how it all falls apart halfway through it is my favorite clash record because you love things that are awful i don't it's not awful it's good in kind of like a messy sloppy sort of way i've mixed it up with daniel who's been on this show and also has strong opinions about punk rock and its development and every time i bring up that sandinista is my favorite clash record he will call me a literal monster (laughs) (laughs) but it's good like you walk out of it having had a very full experience (laughs) and finally uh if we had to end on one song what song would you pick white riot for sure we're closing on white riot This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Follow us along on Twitter and Facebook at SoundtrackCast, SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, review us, rate us, share us, don't make any money off us. Or, like, if you do, good for you. And tell me how, and I'll do the same thing as you, and we'll call it even. Sarah, do you got pluggables you want to plug? No. No? Please don't interact with me on the internet right now. By the time it comes out, the election will be over. It'll be fine. Plus, some punk bros yelling at you about your opinion on The Clash might make an amusing distraction from regular bros yelling at you about politics. Oh man, somebody recently told me to go back on my meds and I didn't even say anything. I just pointed out that somebody else was funny. That is the internet. (laughs) Talk to you in two weeks, everybody.